Chapter Five of Princess Mary's Gift Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Princess Mary's Gift Book, Chapter Five. Bimbashi Joyce, by A. Conan Doyle. It was in the days when the tide of maidism which had swept in such a flood from the great lakes and darfur to the confines of egypt had at last come to its full and even begun as some hoped to show signs of a turn at its outset it had been terrible it had engulfed hicks's army swept over gordon and khartoum rolled behind the british forces as they retired down the river and finally cast up a spray of raiding parties as far north as the aswan then it found other channels to east and west to central africa and to abyssinia and retired a little on the side of egypt for ten years there ensured a lull during which the frontier garrisons looked out upon those distant blue hills of dongola behind the violet mists which draped them lay a land of blood and horror from time to time some adventurer went south towards those haze-girt mountains tempted by stories of gum and ivory but none ever returned once a mutilated egyptian and once a greek woman mad with thirst and fear made their way to the lines they were the only exports of that country of darkness sometimes the sunset would turn those distant mists into a bank of crimson and the dark mountains would rise from that sinister reek like islands in a sea of blood it seemed a grim symbol in the southern heaven when seen from the fort capped hills by wady halfa ten years of lust in khartoum ten years of silent work in cairo and then all was ready and it was time for civilization to take a trip south once more traveling as her wont is in an armored train everything was ready down to the last packfield saddle of the last camel and yet no one suspected it for an unconstitutional government has its advantage a great administrator had argued and managed and cajoled a great soldier had organized and planned and made piastres do the work of pounds and then one night these two master spirits met and clasped hands and the soldier vanished away upon some business of his own and just at that very time Bimbashi Hilary Joyce, seconded from the Royal Mallow Fusiliers and temporarily attached to the Ninth Sudanese, made his first appearance in Cairo. Napoleon had said, and Hilary Joyce had noted, that great reputations are only to be made in the East. Here he was in the East, with four tin cases of baggage, a Wilkinson sword, a Bond's slug throwing pistol and a copy of Green's introduction to the study of Arabic. With such a start, and the blood of youth running hot in his veins, everything seemed easy. He was a little frightened of the general. He had heard stories of his sternness to young officers, but with tact and suavity he hoped for the best. So leaving his effects at Shepherd's Hotel, he reported himself at headquarters. It was not the general, but the head of the intelligence department who received him, the chief being still absent upon that business which had called him. 
Hilary Joyce found himself in the presence of a short, thick-set officer, with a gentle voice and a placid expression which covered a remarkably acute and energetic spirit. With that quiet smile and guileless manner, he had undercut and outwitted the most cunning of Orientals. He stood, a cigarette between his fingers, looking at the newcomer. "'I heard that you had come. Sorry the chief isn't here to see you. Gone up to the frontier, you know.' "'My regiment is at Wady Halfa. I suppose, sir, that I should report myself there at once.' "'No, I was to give you your orders.' He led the way to a map upon the wall, and pointed with the end of his cigarette. "'You see this place? It's the oasis of Kirkur. "'A little quiet, I'm afraid, but excellent air. "'You are to get out there as quick as possible. "'You'll find a company of the Ninth, and half a squadron of cavalry. "'You will be in command.' Hilary Joyce looked at the name, printed at the intersection of two black lines, without another dot upon the map for several inches around it. A village, sir? No, a well. Not very good water, I'm afraid, but you soon get accustomed to Natron. It's an important post, as being at the junction of two caravan routes. All routes are closed now, of course, but still you never know who might come along them. We are there, I presume, to prevent raiding. Well, between you and me, there's really nothing to raid. You are there to intercept messengers. They must call at the wells. Of course, you have only just come out, but you probably understand already enough about the conditions of this country to know that there is a great deal of disaffection about, and that the Khalifa is likely to try and keep in touch with his adherents. Then again, Senussi lives up that way. He waved his cigarette to the westward. The Khalifa might send a messenger to him along that route. Anyhow, your duty is to arrest everyone coming along and get some account of him before you let him go. You don't talk Arabic, I suppose. I am learning, sir. Well, well, you'll have time enough to study there, and you'll have a native officer, Ali something or other, who speaks English and can interpret for you. Well, good-bye. I'll tell the chief that you reported yourself. Get on to your post now as quickly as you can. Railway to Baliami the post-boat to Aswan, and then two day on the camel in the Libyan desert, with an Ababdi guide and three baggage camels to tie one down to their own exasperating pace. However, even two and a half miles an hour mount up in time, and at last on the third evening, from the blackened slag heap of a hill which is called the Jebel Kirkur, Hilary Joyce looked down upon a distant clump of palms, and thought that this cool patch of green in the midst of the merciless blacks and yellows was the fairest colour effect that he had ever seen. An hour later he had ridden into the little camp. The guard had turned out to salute him. His native subordinate had greeted him in excellent English, and he had fairly entered into his own. It was not an exhilarating place for a lengthy residence. There was one large, bowl-shaped, grassy depression sloping down to the three pits of brown and brackish water. There also was the grove of palm trees, beautiful to look upon, but exasperating in view of the fact that nature has provided her least shady trees on the very spot where shade is needed most. A single widespread acacia did something to restore the balance. Here Hilary Joyce slumbered in the heat, and in the cool he inspected his square-shouldered spindle-shanked Sudanese, 
with their cheery black faces and their funny little pork pie forage caps joyce was a martinet at drill and the blacks loved being drilled so the bimbashi was soon popular among them but one day was exactly like another the weather the view the employment the food everything was the same at the end of three weeks he felt that he had been there for interminable years and then at last there came something to break the monotony one evening as the sun was sinking hilary joyce rode slowly down the old caravan road it had a fascination for him this narrow track winding among the boulders and curving up the nullahs for he remembered how in the map it had gone on and on stretching away into the unknown heart of africa the countless pads of innumerable camels through many centuries had beaten it smooth so that now unused and deserted it still wound away the strangest of roads a foot broad and perhaps two thousand miles in length joyce wondered as he rode how long it was since any traveller had journeyed up it from the south and then he raised his eyes and there was a man coming along the path for an instant joyce thought it must be one of his own men but a second glance assured him that this could not be so the stranger was dressed in the flowing robes of an arab and not in the close-fitting khaki of a soldier he was very tall and a high turban made him seem gigantic he strode swiftly along with head erect and the bearing of a man who knows no fear who could he be this formidable giant coming out of the unknown the precursor possibly of a horde of savage spearmen and where could he have walked from the nearest well was a long hundred miles down the track at any rate the frontier post of kirkur could not afford to receive casual visitors hilary joyce whisked round his horse galloped into camp and gave the alarm then with twenty horsemen at his back he rode out again to reconnoitre the man was still coming on in spite of these hostile preparations for an instant he hesitated when first he saw the cavalry but escape was out of the question and he advanced with the air of a man who makes the best of a bad job he made no resistance and said nothing when the hands of two troopers clutched at his shoulders but walked quietly between their horses into camp shortly afterwards the patrol came in again there were no signs of any dervishes the man was alone a splendid trotting camel had been found lying dead a little way down the track the mystery of the stranger's arrival was explained but why and whence and whither these were questions for which a zealous officer must find an answer hilary joyce was disappointed that there were no dervishes it would have been a great start for him in the egyptian army had he fought a little action on his own account but even as it was he had a rare chance of impressing the authorities he would love to show his capacity to the head of intelligence and even more to that grim chief who never forgot what was smart or forgave what was slack the prisoner's dress and bearing showed that he was of importance mean men do not ride purebred trotting camels joyce sponged his head with cold water drank a cup of strong coffee put on an imposing official tarbouche instead of his sun helmet and formed himself into a court of inquiry and judgment 
under the acacia tree he would have liked his people to have seen him now with his two black orderlies in waiting and his egyptian native officer at his side he sat behind a camp table and the prisoner strongly guarded was led up to him the man was a handsome fellow with bold gray eyes and a long black beard why cried joyce the rascal is making faces at me a curious contraction had passed over the man's features but so swiftly that it might have been a nervous twitch he was now a model of oriental gravity ask him who he is and what he wants the native officer did so but the stranger made no reply save that the same sharp spasm passed once more over his face well i'm blessed cried hilary joyce of all the impudent scoundrels he keeps on winking at me who are you you rascal give an account of yourself do you hear but the tall arab was as impervious to english as to arabic the egyptian tried again and again the prisoner looked at joyce with his inscrutable eyes and occasionally twitched his face at him but never opened his mouth the bimbashi scratched his head in bewilderment look here muhammad ali we've got to get some sense out of this fellow you say there are no papers on him no sir we found no papers no clue of any kind he has come far sir a trotting camel does not die easily he has come from dongola at least well we must get him to talk it is possible that he is deaf and dumb not he i never saw a man look more all there in my life you might send him across to aswan and give someone else the credit no thank you this is my bird but how are we going to get him to find his tongue the egyptian's dark eyes skirted the encampment and rested on the cook's fire perhaps said he if the bimbashi thought fit he looked at the prisoner and then at the burning wood no no it wouldn't do no by jove that's going too far a very little might do it no no it's all very well here but it would sound just awful if ever it got as far as fleet street but i say he whispered we might frighten him a bit there's no harm in that no sir tell them to undo the man's galabia order them to put a horseshoe in the fire and make it red hot the prisoner watched the proceedings with an air which had more of amusement than of uneasiness he never winced as the black sergeant approached with a glowing shoe held upon two bayonets will you speak now asked the bimbashi savagely the prisoner smiled gently and stroked his beard oh chuck the infernal thing away cried joyce jumping up in a passion there's no use trying to bluff the fellow he knows we won't do it but i can and i will flog him and you can tell him from me that if he hasn't found his tongue by tomorrow morning i'll take the skin off his back as sure as my name's joyce have you said all that yes sir well you can sleep upon it you beauty and a good night's rest may it give you he adjourned the court and the prisoner as imperturbable as ever was led away by the guard to his supper of rice and water hilary joyce was a kind-hearted man and his own sleep was considerably disturbed by the prospect of the punishment which he must inflict next day 
he had hopes that the mere sight of the corbash and the thongs might prevail over the prisoner's obstinacy and then again he thought how shocking it would be if the man proved to be really dumb after all the possibility shook him so that he had almost determined by daybreak that he would send the stranger on unhurt to aswan and yet what a tame conclusion it would be to the incident he lay upon his angareeb still debating it when the question suddenly and effectively settled itself ali muhammad rushed into his tent sir he cried the prisoner is gone gone yes sir and your own best riding camel as well there is a slit cut in the tent and he got away unseen in the early morning the bimbashi acted with all energy cavalry rode along every track scouts examined the soft sand of the wadis for signs of the fugitive but no trace was discovered the man had utterly disappeared with a heavy heart hilary joyce wrote an official report of the matter and forwarded it to aswan five days later there came a curt order from the chief that he should report himself there he feared the worst from the stern soldier who spared others as little as he spared himself and his worst forebodings were realized travel-stained and weary he reported himself one night at the general's quarters behind a table piled with papers and strewn with maps the famous soldier and his chief of intelligence were deep in plans and figures their greeting was a cold one i understand captain joyce said the general that you have allowed a very important prisoner to slip through your fingers i'm sorry sir no doubt but that will not mend matters did you ascertain anything about him before you lost him no sir how was that i could get nothing out of him sir did you try yes sir i did what i could what did you do well sir i threatened to use physical force what did he say he said nothing what was he like a tall man sir rather a desperate character i should think any way by which we could identify him a long black beard sir gray eyes and a nervous way of twitching his face well captain joyce said the general in his stern inflexible voice i cannot congratulate you upon your first exploit in the egyptian army you are aware that every english officer in this force is a picked man i have the whole british army from which to draw it is necessary therefore that i should insist upon the very highest efficiency it would be unfair upon the others to pass over an obvious want of zeal or intelligence you are seconded from the royal mallows i understand yes sir i have no doubt that your colonel will be glad to see you fulfilling your regimental duties again hilary joyce's heart was too heavy for words he was silent i will let you know my final decision tomorrow morning joyce saluted and turned upon his heel you can sleep upon that you beauty and a good night's rest may it give you joyce turned in bewilderment where had those words been used before who was it who had used them the general was standing erect both he and the chief of intelligence were laughing joyce stared at the tall figure the erect bearing the inscrutable gray eyes good lord he gasped well well captain joyce we are quits said the general holding out his hand you gave me a bad ten minutes with that infernal red-hot horseshoe of yours 
I've done as much for you. I don't think we can spare you for the Royal Mallows just yet a while. But, sir, but... The fewer questions the better, perhaps. But, of course, it must seem rather amazing. I had a little private business with the Cababiche. It must be done in person. I did it, and came to your post on my return. I kept on winking at you as a sign that I wanted a word with you alone. Yes, yes, I begin to understand. I couldn't give it away before all those blacks, or where should I have been the next time I used my false beard and Arab dress? You put me in a very awkward position, but at last I had a word alone with your Egyptian officer, who managed my escape all right. He? Mohammed Ali? I ordered him to say nothing. I had a score to settle with you. But we dine at eight, Captain Joyce. We live plainly here, but I think I can do a little better than you did me at Kirkour. End of chapter five.